Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, briancleman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello, folks, and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm Lucky Luciano Sedoni with me, Brian the Angry Man Clayman. Coming to you with episode 37, um, and we're going to be talking about. Well, we're we're gonna we're gonna reformat our what's keeping you up at night approach for this week because we're going to be talking about what's keeping Ottawa residents up at night, and that's the horns that are going off with all those truckers blocking the streets. Um, and I think that's where we're going to start our conversation today, Brian. And and then we're going to head into sort of what our businesses business leaders could do to try and mitigate or at least, uh, you know, protect themselves from that type of activity when it comes to town, whether it's planned or unplanned. Is that sort of the gist of where you want to go today? Yeah, I think so. I want to talk about the Freedom Convoy, as they call it. And, you know, everyone's talking about it right now. It's quite interesting. But talk about it from a different perspective, what it means for business, because everyone says the police are in charge, and they are. But what they look at is different than what a building operator or a business operator has to be looking at. And that's what I want to talk about. Uh, I tell you, I'm sorry if I'm huffing and puffing, but I'm just back from Ottawa. It's been cold the last five days there. And the police have been really uh, low key or doing nothing. I must have broken five windows in front of police officers and no one even looked at me. But uh, (laughs) I'm back in Toronto now where it's safe and I'm bringing my brethren here uh, uh, tomorrow for another demo up here. Oh, great. Yeah, I heard. I think this was a bit of a cluster from the get-go when when the attitude from your prime minister is basically that they were a fringe element. And to me, I don't care if they're a fringe or not. To me, the flag was... These guys got into a truck in Vancouver and were prepared to drive a couple of thousand miles. They're not just coming here to have a coffee and go home. That's that's my point. Like they should have taken them a little more seriously, or at least, you know, I don't know what the answer was, but I think that kind of a comment sort of just gave them further conviction to get here and cause the problems that they're causing. It, it, listen, it certainly did. I agree. And clearly there's a movement afoot uh, across the country. Yeah. And people have to listen and politicians have to listen. <clears throat> but the problem is, who's in charge and what is this movement about? It's really morphed into something more than yep. gas and truckers yep. type things. And I think we've got to listen to that. You've got everything from the truckers that uh, don't want to have the vaccine mandates going into the border to people that don't want to have to wear masks, the people that don't want to be locked down anymore. So there's a lot of discontent there to neo-Nazis that want to burn it all yep. down. You, you know, so uh, I think, quite honestly, uh, I use myself as the example. I've been rather hardcore and very pro the mandates, not necessarily the lockdowns, but we got to wear masks and we got to take this stuff seriously. But I've rethought a lot based on what I believe a successful demonstration uh, occurred in Ottawa. And I want to be very, very clear here. I'm not pro truckers. I disagree with the fact I, uh, uh, I, I'm against anti-vaxxers. I think they're selfish and think of themselves. I don't even buy the truckers' argument that uh, uh, 
the supply chain is going to be impacted because we're not going to go across the border. Hey, buddy, you just represent 10% of truckers. 90% of your brethren are going across the border. So if you tell me that you 10% are going to keep us uh, the shells bare, I call bullshit on that, okay? And many of you are probably delivering rubber or cars or other type of stuff. So I get it. You know, I get the hyperbole. But they overplayed their cards. Uh, they lost control. The $10 million, that YouTube account is not the Trucker Association. It's some nefarious people that are behind that. I think this movement has been hijacked, and I think the organizers have done a bad job to try and get control of the message. And I think the good that was done may be undone, and that would be a shame. For example, they're not leaving until uh, uh, the mandates are dropped and there's no mask and lights go back to normal, and by the way, Justin's not here anymore. Well, that's not going to happen. I mean, no. that's called anarchy. I mean, what I would rather would have seen is a very successful uh, demonstration, uh, orderly, lawful, in Ottawa last weekend, $10 million in a war chest, maybe hit Queen's Park and the others, okay? And then you've created awareness, then go the political route, use that money, fund the politicians that support your way of seeing things, and then topple the government. That's how you make change. This is just a clusterfuck right now. Yeah, I can't, uh, I mean, I won't disagree on, on most of that, those points. I think our government, like I said, has some fault as well, because you, to, I mean, you said it yourself, there's an underlying current in this country. And the thing that really worries me is that it's too easy for them right now to just dismiss it. And I think that's dangerous. I mean, history is full of movements that have grown out of being dismissed as fringe elements or don't worry about that. And all too often they lead to, you know, six million dead as you, you we just, you know, sort of marked this week. And yeah. because people choose to ignore it or they just don't want to believe that that's a problem. Right. Or, or I'm in power. So I'm 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 untouchable. I don't have to worry. So that to me is a bit the, is a bit of the concern. But. I don't want to make it a political discussion because we'll just talk about it all night and never agree on certain things. But um, we want to talk about what's really um, about this. Uh, what we want to talk about on this episode is preparing for those types of of uh, protests, whether you agree with them or not, is irrelevant. At the end of the day, they're going to impact your business or how you how you operate. Um, and I think they're. I mean, it's basically some of the same principles can apply to any type of event that's out there. I think it's important to understand the difference between a planned event. Something like uh, like a G20, where we knew it was coming, you had advance notice, and you can even argue that this convoy was a planned event because you had foresight to it, uh, versus an unplanned event like you know those pop-up protests that we used to see downtown all the time with OCAP or some of the homeless uh, um, movement supporter groups and things like that. So that there is a bit of a difference there. One obviously catches you by surprise, uh, and one is sort of uh, planned for. But I think there's still the same general approach to both those events. You've got to be prepared. There've got to be plans in place. You've got to have some kind of uh, structure, a response plan to deal with it when it happens. Yeah, entirely. I mean, it's sort of like COVID. You know, Ontario was not expecting a pandemic, okay? And they didn't have hospital capacity or any preparation. But they should have realized bad things happen. And if you're managing a bit a business or a building, let's say, building is an easy example type thing. Just because I'm not aware of any information suggesting that my building is going to be targeted or the neighborhood is going to be targeted, I know this is the city of Toronto or downtown Ottawa. These are major urban centers. If I run a building or a business in downtown Ottawa, I know that that's a lightning rod 
for demonstration. So I need a plan. What if? What if this? What if that? And especially when you have prior warning and intelligence, okay, you need to prepare for what the intelligence says is going to happen. I think a big problem is that people don't have a plan and there's a mistaken belief that the police are going to be there and take care of it. Tell me how that worked for the small restaurateur in downtown Ottawa or the people at the uh, Cadillac Fairview Shopping Centre Mall there. Which one? That had to shut down. Okay. Oh, Rideau. Rideau. Rideau Mall. Okay. Rideau Mall. That's the Rideau Centre. Rideau Centre. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, they couldn't rely on the police. And I'm not even faulting the police. But I do know Cadillac Fairview. You know it better than me. I am sure they had a plan. And they knew what the thresholds would be to shut down, uh, they were able to do it, and no one got hurt. They can do that. They can't end the demonstration, but they can protect their territory. That's what we're talking about today, and that's what I think most building owners, most business leaders, most presidents of a company are too focused on other things, and they're not uh, focused. They shouldn't be entirely focused, but someone in the organization has to think about what if this happens, what are the impacts? Yeah, because if you think about it when it's on your doorstep, it's too late. As we all know, we've talked about that too many times. Um, and it doesn't really take a lot of effort. I think the problem is we often don't think about it because it's not on the radar. It costs money to do those things. And so people want to put it on the back burner. How many times, I mean, you were you were involved with pandemic committees as I was. And, I, you know, like I said in the past, try and get people to volunteer for that committee. Like they just didn't want anything to do with it because it was just boring. You met once a year if you were lucky and talked about a flu that was likely never going to happen. And sure shit, here it is. It happened. How many of those companies that spent so much time after SARS to talk about response plans, talk about stocks and supplies and making sure they had the stuff ready to go after three, four years said, ah, it'll never happen again. And it's gone. The <laughs> government of Ontario is guilty of that. Kathleen Wynne got rid of all our freaking SARS stock. I mean, she admitted to that, right? I so know. they're guilty of it. I don't understand, to your point, how a business owner can think that the government's going to take care of you or the police are going to take care of you when they can't take care of themselves. Well, and you know what? I'm not going to be as hard on the police. I'm not going to paint the same brush on the police as I do with the governments, yep. different governments, okay? Because I think they're a lot more professional. But, you know, I can't emphasize enough. I can't tell you how many times in my career dealing with senior leadership or even now, customers, okay, of ours, uh, we're, we're doing consulting engagements. In fact, there's one we recently have been involved with, you and I, uh, say that the police will take care of us. The police will take care of you, but the focus of the police is on public safety, good order, okay? Good order and public safety. The focus of the uh, 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 Air Canada or the property manager at the Eaton Centre is not public safety and good order. It's running their business, protecting the people and assets. So they're not the same, but they both have to occur at the same time. And to do that, you need several things. You need a plan. You need uh, to share that plan with the police in your neighbourhood, in your area, because if you see you're going to go left, we're going to call 911, the police are going to be here and they're going to do such and such. And if the police say that's not the way it works, you got to amend the plan. You got to know who to call, and they, uh, the police have to know who to call in your building. I remember during the terror attack in uh, Ottawa when the soldier at the unknown, uh, 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 Corporal Cirillo, was killed at the tomb of the unknown soldier. One of our buildings was right next door to where the tomb is located. I forget the street, it's a big intersection right near Par Parliament Hill. And they were locked down for about 12 hours. 
and they didn't know what was happening, who to call. They were complete in the dark. They had no plan because uh, in our debrief, it came up. They never thought that this could happen. How can you be across the street from the parliament buildings, the tomb of the unknown soldier, in 2020, uh, 2014, when all the terrorism, Islamic terrorism, domestic terrorism is occurring, and not have a plan and yeah. get surprised? And it happens time after time. You just yeah. said about governments. Our federal government, I think about two months before the pandemic occurred, uh, hit us, sold a lot of our surplus stuff to the Chinese. I mean, uh, uh, after 9-11, uh, the terror attack, uh, they realized that we didn't have capacity to deal with major uh, uh, attacks if we had a building collapse in Canada, and they created the Hoosar units, yep. the Urban Search and Rescue. It was funded by the federal government, and there were several of them, one of them run by Bill Needles of Toronto Police uh, here in Toronto, and he was actually up in Elliott Lake with that unit. And what they did was, because there have been no more terror attacks, about four years ago, they disbanded it. Yeah. I guess they'll reform it if there's a terror attack, but it's always after the fact. So, yeah. you know, what I tell clients is that, listen, I'm the job to keep you safe, but I got to uh, uh, bring you into the real world. Seeing I'm not listening, I'm not listening is not going to help. You run a, 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 a shopping mall, you run a, a commercial property, or you run a business that has 300 people working in downtown Toronto, an insurance uh, uh, company, let's say. You have to expect this is going to happen, and you got to be ready to react, because as you said, Lou, trying to wing it when it happens hardly ever turns out good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I'd even, I'm going to take it back even a step further uh, than, than you, you're, you're talking about, Brian. You're talking about really... Um, you know, taking the action and being prepared. But I, I'm going to say, and I know you're going to agree, it goes even before that, and that is striking or building the right partnerships to gather the intelligence so you understand what you're preparing for. When, when, Like G20 is a perfect example, right? As soon as we got the news from the prime minister at the time that it was happening, you know, you and I and a bunch of the others, we were, we were right away starting to build those networks with 52 Division, Right, talking about their, what the strategy was going to be, how are we going to talk to each other, having regular meetings between us and all the other property owners. Like there was no competition. It was all about securing the space and sharing intelligence. So we understood the level nature of that risk. And then you start preparing for it and you start building out your supplies and, and, and your training. So, you know, we talked about cots in, in, in the buildings, if you recall, those, just bringing back all kinds of nightmares. Yeah. The food, the, food. the cots in the, in the hallways and people renting out the hotels and all that kind of stuff. But that can only happen if you're connected to the intelligence community that, that, that um, you know, they're sharing information with you. And that doesn't happen as well the day of. That has to happen months in advance if not, you know, years in advance, starts over coffee. You've talked about this many a time. You, 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 it, this is what kills me about business owners as well. They, they have this, a lot of times I find they have this sort of like awe or like, like that police have this aura that they're unapproachable. Yeah. Like pick up the phone, call your freaking local um, district commander. They're happy yeah. to sit down with you, right? It's, it's yeah. a cup yeah. of coffee. It's amazing, you know, when I tell that to clients, they say, well, we have a relationship with Constable Solis or Sergeant Solis, and I say, that's great. Call the superintendent. He works for you. He doesn't know you exist, but you know he exists, and he's happy to hear from you. You know, uh, about the relationships, the old adage is the time to give out the business card is not during an emergency. It's months before. 
I had the opportunity to lecture at the Canadian Police College several years ago about partnerships, the importance of partnerships. And the first slide I had on the deck was that it showed a group of guys at an Irish bar drinking Guinness. And I said, this is the key to successful partnerships. And one of the people in the audience says, to get drunk and drink Guinness? I said, well, that also helps. But no, the point I'm trying to make is if you're friends and know each other and trust each other, everything else falls into place. But if you're thrust together on game day, there's trust issues. Great example, G20, if you recall. We are very, we were very well connected with the Toronto yep. police and the, the local, the OPP and people like that. And I remember there was a time where um, senior Toronto leaders were sharing plans with us and the RCMP were a bit concerned. And they said, well, how can you trust these guys? And the Toronto police commander said to the RCMP superintendent, how can we trust you? And the point he was trying to make is we've known these guys for years. We have a partnership with these guys. And that's because before things got bad, we had beer together. We had training exercises together. So game day was easy. G20 was easy. I wasn't saying, oh, hello, Mr. Policeman. How you doing, Bill? Hey, Chris, what can I do for you? Uh, I wasn't listening to CP24, although I was. I called directly into the operations center. And why? Because Brian claimed it's important? No, because yeah. it was all prearranged that if game day ever happened, whatever the game day was, here's my phone number, what's your phone number? I didn't have to call 911. I went right to the place. And again, not because you or I are special, because there was a plan. Well, and there's there was an attitude, there was a commitment, there, there was a vision. I don't I don't want to say that we're, you know, we were better than anybody else. But hey, you got to give credit where credit's due. We thought outside the box. We weren't restricting ourselves to the four corners like a lot of business owners and security program security managers do. Even today, I, I still meet clients today. I go out in the field, whether I'm, you know, I was on the client side, but now I'm on the, the contractor the, side. The dark the, side. The guard side. It's still the no, same no, issue. The dark side. The dark side. <laughs> yes, the dark I mean, side. But dark. I can, you know, I, the, the thing is that. Even today, we're talking about G20 was 2010. We're into 2021, 22, 12 years later. And you go downtown, and I'll talk to those security managers. And to your point, who do you deal with over at so-and-so? Oh, you know, it's the community liaison guy. And not knocking the community liaison no. guy, but you got to step it up a level. If, if you want special, not special service, but if you want the real deal information, uh, a, a, a real solid relationship with the police department, you got to deal with the top guy, not the guy just driving around who happens to be on shift that day. It's just yeah, not going to work. And to be careful, we're not being disparaging. Like, like frontline policing is really where it's at. But yeah. if we're talking about strategic planning, it's like, for example, uh, my business, uh, I, I'm the president of Air Canada and you're the president of United. And we want to strike a, a strategic deal. Okay. Well, it's not going to be the cleaner at Air Canada talking yeah. to the cleaner. There's nothing wrong with cleaners. But these are strategic decisions not tactical decisions. And that's why you've got to connect at the right level. And that's where the failure usually is, you know. Yep. It, 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 partnerships is an easy word to say, but it takes a lot of effort to figure out at what level in the organization do we connect. And, you know, I, I just hope that the people that are impacted in Ottawa currently and potentially tomorrow in Toronto and Quebec City have taken the time beforehand to establish those relationships and plans and say, okay, police, what are you going to do? Well, if you do this, we're going to do that. Are we in sync? Are we in simpatico? We are. Based on my experience, 
A few have done that, no doubt. The hospitals are very well connected and very sophisticated. Several of the big property operators are, but the vast majority out there have no clue what's coming and they're not prepared. No, they're, they're going to wing it. And and the key is that relationship because you need to understand the nature of the risk. And then from that point, it, it really is pretty simple to plan out what your response plan is, depending on, on what the risk is. Once you've identified that, you know, do we need to buy plywood for the windows if you're located next to where you get, these guys are going to be protesting or should you keep medical supplies on hand or whatever it is that becomes uh, sort of a, a no-brainer once you understand what's coming what's coming your way um, but I, I don't think enough businesses do it I still think most uh, expect the police to come and take care of business you hear it even on the on the on the news tonight right like now they're talking about bringing in the military to take care yeah. of truckers right yeah. like it's I, I don't understand I'm not saying that that that's not the solution. Maybe maybe it's the only solution. But how do we get to that point that you need the military to come in and disassemble a, a protest in your nation's capital? I, yeah. I don't understand that. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I think it's really important to uh, have a plan. Can't say enough of that. But the, you got to think about every possible contingency. Like one of the things during the G20 that we noticed is everyone talked about that on game day, I think on the Saturday or Friday night. Yeah, the, the plan was, as I recall, for all of us, Friday night after business shut at five o'clock, we were going to lock her down. Okay, yeah. we're going to lock down the path. We're going to lock down the buildings. But then someone, someone brilliant, maybe me or you, I'm not sure which brilliant person it was, or some lawyer said, uh, explained to me certainly that you know you've got tenants that are paying hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars of rent. You cannot lock down a building and tell them they can't come. So I realized that okay, if the plan was to lock down the building. How are we going to communicate that to our tenants? And how are we going to communicate it during the day? Or what if the lockdown occurred at 3 in the morning and they're coming to work at 7 in the morning? So we had to think about that. We had to think, can we legally tell the tenant they can't come in? So we had a plan saying that if Bay Street gets occupied, hey, tenants, come in through the back door yeah. or through path. There have to be all those contingencies. I'm willing to bet in Ottawa, most of the buildings that are not managed by the big operators do not have those contingencies, okay? I bet you tomorrow, a lot of the buildings along the route on University Avenue that do not have the the uh, professional security people giving them guidance do not have those plans. They're just gonna lock the door. They're gonna lock people in and keep people from coming out. It's against the law. That's called, I think, under the criminal code, forcible confinement. <laughs> like, you can't do that. But you have to have, the plan has to accommodate, okay, if I've got a lawyer that's preparing for court and he's in the building when I lock down, how am I going to get him out? Uh, uh, you know, uh, what am I going to tell to him that, you know what, we recommend you stay because it's dangerous out there, but if you choose to go, it's on your own risk and yep. hold harmless. Like, we have a duty of care obligation, not only when they're in our building, but when they're en route to our buildings type yep. thing. And that's what the plan has to look at. It's not just about there's bad guys coming, we need security guards with batons, we need to lock the door and have the big... Uh, uh, guys with the big muscles standing there. That's just this small, small, small component. I probably not even part of that plan because the cops have the big guys with the tattoos. Yep. You know, so we had to look really at what what are the things that can happen. Well, we can have damage. People could be threatened. Uh, uh, deliveries may not come to the building, and then you have a uh, a whiteboard session with all the stakeholders. 
what happens if we can't operate the building normally? Identify all those things and then come up with contingency. And that's a good place to start. It's really not very complicated, no, but it's going to be methodical. It's not. And you, you bring out a, a, a great point about communication, because if you recall, certainly during the planned events, and, and then we learned to do it pretty quickly, uh, that it's not just important to communicate to your team, your employees, but your tenants and your tenants, but we were communicating the messages across businesses, right? Yeah. Like my company wasn't your company, but we were still communicating to make sure that we were sending the same message to all, all people, regardless of which building they were located in. Everybody had the same information. We weren't creating, you know, uh, rumors or creating confusion because we all had that one message unified. So important to have during an emergency. Um, and then the only other thing I would say on that is even when you do everything right, you're still going to have some people out there that are just Perfect. too stupid to to take the advice. And to your point, you can't you can't lock them in the building. Uh, but you know, a quick example on my end, I, I remember Hurricane Sandy coming to um, to New York, and we know we all know what happened there. It destroyed and didn't destroy, but it certainly flooded a ton of buildings, including a lot of ours. Um, and one particular building, and we did everything we could, right? We we messaged them, said, get out. It's going to be a serious storm. We're not going to be able to service the building. We're going to lose the power. Get out of the building while you can. Well, two major firms, I'm not going to name who they were, but they were in that building, 50% basically each. One said, okay, let's listen to the property owner, and they got the heck out of Dodge. The other chose to stay because they didn't want to risk losing that extra five minutes of you know work. Um, yeah. And then they ended up getting stuck there and and then the next day so the first day wasn't too bad everyone's pretty good to sit sit out a night you can rough that out but the next day all of a sudden you know joe on the fifth floor needs his medication that he hasn't had for 12 hours yeah. or so and so hasn't you know hasn't needs to get his um um uh, insulin or something right and then all of a sudden it became a much more serious problem because no thought had been given to that you know you said something that tweaked me and i just put a note uh uh in, with the New York example, uh, you had some firms that listened to the property owner yeah. and some that chose not to. But that's an onus on the property owner. You got to get it right because if you have bad information and you give bad information, okay, it, and if you're grossly negligent in that you're saying something is a fact that you know it not to be a factor because you read about it in the National Enquirer, that can get you in trouble also. Yeah. So really what I'm saying is you've got to do this right. You've got to take the time to do it right and communicate effectively. The G20 is just such a great example in it the was. sense that we, uh, you know, if you decided to lock your doors to Brookfield Place or Dave Salston at Royal Bank Plaza type thing, you would tell everyone else beforehand what you were doing so we could manage it. Because a lot of the buildings are interconnected in the sense yeah. that if there's a fire in one, you go to the other. Well, if we had a fire and your doors are locked, right there we got a you know a real problem. Yeah. So it, it's about communicating. Remember the days we would have uh, uh, before we got a little bit more sophisticated that something happening in a big tower uh, and you would call over and they say, oh, nothing to worry about, okay? The, the, the problem is you have the hazmat truck from Toronto uh, Fire there and the guys in moon suits walking into your building. And I'd have 8,000 tenants in Commerce Court saying, yeah. oh, my God, I just heard from a friend they found a nuclear device. And now we have a self-evacuation. Yeah. You have to work in unity. You see it in Ottawa. 
You had the Ottawa police working with the RCMP, the York and Toronto police as one under a unified command. I say business has to do the same. I think businesses within a building could connect to the building, the buildings connect with the other buildings, and you create a community and a synergy so you're doing the same and you're sharing the intelligence. Uh, there is no competition when it comes to safety. No. There is on other parts of the business, but not when it comes to safety and security. Yeah, and maybe that's a role that, uh, you know, there's lots of BIAs in the city that represent certain sectors, yeah. and maybe they're a good conduit to develop that sort of Certainly. messaging, that community, because it's, it is difficult for a proper, like a security manager in a building to push the conversation by himself. We've, we both tried that. We had, we had uh, size on our, we had size on our side because we all worked yeah. for big companies. Big um, and, you know, we had some other things going for us that we leveraged Pathcom and all these other tools that attracted those people onto, uh, onto the program. But to do it on your own, it, it is tough for a, a local mall to say, you know, let's get some people together. We experienced that in Newfoundland, right? It was very isolated okay. to the mall. Who else do you want to include? But I think if the business community around those areas come together, and there are lots of groups that do come together, the problem is all they do is talk about you know, uh, business, right? How to make business better. Well, protecting your business is also a way to make business better. <laughs> if you don't protect it, it's not going to be there tomorrow. So maybe we they no need business. to start doing that. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. So I, I, I guess as we come to the end of this, you know, the message is that if you don't have a plan, if you are a property manager, a asset manager, a business leader, a manager of an insurance company, if you don't have a plan, and if you're not prepared, and you figure, well, I'll wing it when it happens, you probably are in a bad spot. It's like most people, especially young people, don't have life insurance, okay, until they need it. My wife got life insurance years ago, and she had like $2 million for $20 a month of term. I'm trying to, if I was to get life insurance at my age right now, because I've fallen apart, it's going to be like $3,000 a month because I didn't plan. I didn't realize that this might happen. Although I knew it would, I didn't think this day would ever come. Uh, as long as we're living in Toronto and not in Bora Bora, we're in a, one of the largest uh, metropolitan centers in North America, things are going to happen. And it's incumbent on business leaders, incumbent on security leaders, risk managers to prepare for it. And you said one thing about the BIAs. You know, the big guys like the Oxfords, the Cadillac Fairviews, the GWO Realty Advisors, the Ivanhoe Cambridge, you know, we, because of our size and the people that we represent, we're very well connected yeah. at all levels politically through the security apparatus and everything. But most building owners are not like that. Most, you know, uh, uh, buildings in Toronto are small, medium, large, but they're not mammoth. And they need, uh, there's a strength in numbers. Yep. And the BIAs are a good way to do it because that's the network, okay? And the BIAs are working collaboratively for everyone. But if you're not thinking about it, uh, everyone knows, I think we record this a few days before it happens. So by the time they listen, we'll know the, the results. Yep. Watch TV tomorrow on Saturday and see how that turns out. Watch what's happening in Ottawa. The, you know, the businesses are suffering and see what's going to happen to them this weekend. I hope it turns out good. But yeah. you can't uh, rely on chance. Yep, it's, it's called business continuity planning, right? Business resiliency, business they should all have planning. it. <laughs> and by the way, before we end, uh, a little plug, that's what we do. We yep. uh, are hired by clients to help them with their emergency plans or business continuity plans. And, uh, you know, Luke or I are happy to receive a call. Uh, we do this podcast because we want to share information. 
once you decide there's a need, you've got to find someone to help you do that need. And there's a lot of good people in Canada. We're the best, but there's many almost as good as we are. <laughs> and it also includes making connections that we're talking about, right? Getting yeah. to know your local police, emergency services. So that's it, folks, for this episode. Uh, hope you like what we're talking about. And we certainly see it in the increasing uh, numbers in our uh, listenership, I guess is the word. Um, so if you like what you're hearing, please hit the like button on our episodes, share us with your circle of friends and help spread the word. We really do appreciate your support. And if you want us to cover a topic, let us know, drop us an email at brianclayman.com. He's got his, uh, his email, uh, link there and you're uh, more than welcome to, to describe what you're looking for and we'll see what we can do. Uh, until next time, <laughs> have a good weekend. Hopefully Toronto is still, is still around on uh, Sunday when all this is over. Yes, everyone. Stay safe, have fun, and uh, stay warm. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening, and don't forget to protect your assets. (laughs) 